Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for October 21st. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we hear about this year's corn crop and get updates on grain markets. We also learn the ins and outs of cover crops and talk about the value and importance of Arkansas Farm Bureau membership. First up, Dr. Jason Kelly shares an overview of this year's corn production season, including challenges farmers faced and the key role of production data. He also talks about grain markets and how they could impact next year's acres, as well as potential supply chain issues facing growers in 2022. Okay, Dr. Jason Kelly, thank you so much for joining me here on the Arkansas AgCast. Uh, you know, I've got to admit something to you. I think we have uh, heard a crop update from everyone but the corn uh, the corn crop this year, and so I, I feel like I owe you an apology. But I also feel like you've probably been pretty busy with harvest. So, but before we dig into that, thank you so much for joining us and, and offering to give us kind of an, a breakout on the corn crop in Arkansas this year. Yeah, appreciate you talking with me today, Jason. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, uh, let's just dive in. Um, we are going to – we have done on almost every uh, crop update that we've had this year, we have sort of stepped back in time to the beginning of the year and uh, and talked about what our outlook was for the crop season then. Uh, so I'll ask you to do the same. If you if you can imagine way on back to January, um, tell us kind of what your expectation wa- was for the corn crop uh, in the state um, at that point. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, back in last winter, I, I think everybody's uh, view on corn was very optimistic. I mean, I think the perception was that we were going to have some good prices and, uh, you know, four or five dollar corn that was definitely better than what it has been sometimes in previous years so Mm -hmm. i I think the expectation was that we were going to have more corn and uh yeah yeah we definitely ended up there we end up planting about eight hundred and fifty thousand acres so you know you go back historically you know eight hundred fifty thousand acres you know in the big picture it doesn't sound all that like all that much but uh really you go back historically looking you know that's the second most acres that we've had since 1954 you know if you go back those early 1950s we were a million acres or more but uh you know we've come a long ways in the last uh, 20 30 years and uh you know p- part of that's our, our yields mm-hmm. uh coming up and we're seeing the the you know, the benefits of rotation, spreading the risk out, and especially when we get that price up there and, you know, the, the weather, you know, we always got to talk about weather, but uh, we get a good price and then uh, get the good planting window to get things planted. Well, yeah, we, we're not really wasn't surprised that we ended up with 850,000 acres of corn. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is, I mean, that's huge in 1954. Goodness. Uh, what, what I mean, what do you think is the motivation? It was was it market prices? I, I think that that was a lot of it. I mean, you know, we we've got a you know, like I say, we've come a long way. We we know uh, how to graze good corn, and mm-hmm. you know, when when you've got uh, ground that you feel like you can grow two hundred bushel corn or better on, and you've got 
$5 corn booked or locked in, you know, that gives you some flexibility to, you know, if, if that crop needs a little, you know, this input or that input, I think most of our growers weren't, we're, we're not hesitant to, to put that input out there. So, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, management, I think that's really a key to a lot of things. Corn, it's, uh, you know, we can't sit back on corn and uh, just see how it reacts. We, we really, the other way around, we know it's going to need the nitrogen. We know it's going to need the water most of the time. So, you know, I think that's really one of the reasons why our state average yield has went up quite a little bit. I mean, this year we're looking at a 184 bushel state average. Oh, wow. And uh, you know that that's that's great. I mean, really, in the last seven years, we've probably averaged close to 180 bushels. So, you know, even nationally, our yields are tend to be a little bit higher than the national average today. Whereas 10, 20 years ago, or in the past, we were, you know, quite a bit below the the U.S. average. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good news. Good news for Arkansas farmers here. Uh, yeah. Definitely. So, I got to ask you, just in the in the in the progress of the corn crop and corn harvest this year, I mean, it's, you know, middle of October. Are we done? We essentially are. There's a, you know, if you drive around the countryside yesterday, I saw a couple fields that hadn't been harvested. And I think it's uh, not that the corn isn't ready. Uh, You know, we were, you know, most of our growers are, they got cotton, they got soybeans, they got rice. And so, you know, soybeans are ready. We got to get them out. So some, some some of these fields of corn may stand out there for a little bit. Just, uh, you know, we got other crops that were more pressing to get out. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we're about 97 or 98 percent harvested right now, which is, you know, t- probably pretty typical. So, uh, you know, a li- little bit out there, but not much. Yeah. OK. Well, not to not to move us around the calendar too much, but you talked about the the good outlook on corn, feeling good about market prices, feeling good about our production practices and, and all of this at the beginning of the year. And then we have this historic and really just phenomenal weather event in South Southeast Arkansas. Um, can you tell about, tell, can you share just a little bit about how that impacted corn growers in the state? Yeah. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, you we turned on a dime almost, you know, it seemed like mm-hmm. everything was going our way, which, uh, you know, doesn't always happen for sure. But uh, yeah, that, that first 10 days in June and, you know, we, we, you know, Southeast Arkansas, they were, they were kind of the, the bullseye for that, you know, 15, 20 inches of rainfall. But, mm-hmm. but, but really, I mean, for sure the the Southern half and, you know, even some areas further North were, were impacted. Maybe they didn't get the, you know that that greater rainfall, but they had issues as well. So, yeah, that that uh, that first ten days in June, you know, that really kind of was a turning point for a lot of a lot of people. So, you know, we we did lose some acres, of course. We had uh, you know twenty inches of rain. That, that the water is definitely not going to get away quick mm-hmm. as quick as we like. So, yeah, we lost some acres of corn and, and other crops as well. But uh, you know th- those storms that they brought some wind. And so mm-hmm. I, I would almost venture to say that in some areas that, you know, maybe they got five to 10 inches of rainfall, the, the, the wind damage may have been more detrimental to the overall yield than the actual flooding. Oh, so wow. we had 
green snap, some, you know, root lodging the, the plants laid over and tried to stand back up. And of course, those those fields, you know, you run the combine through and that, you know, if you had areas that blew over, you know, early June, you know, those yields are never as good as uh, corn that, that stood up fine. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we had some wind damage. Um, we had a lot, you know, it was wet for quite some time, even a little bit further north. And so there, there was a lot, you know, during that time frame, a lot, lot of producers had already put out all their nitrogen. And, uh, you know, we get that much rainfall, stay saturated for a while. Well, we lost some nitrogen. Mm, and yeah. so, you know, that, that probably hurt some yields. And, you know, corn, corn doesn't like wet feet. I mean, we, we know that. And so... You know, there were some fields that uh, I think the yields were, were disappointing. And, uh, you know, the drainage is critical. You know, we lost nitrogen, drainage, you know, a lot, lot of negative things, I guess, associated with that, that, that first 10 days of June. And then, you know, you know, rain's a good thing, but, you know, we got to, we don't want too much, but all that wet, wet weather, we also had a lot of foliar diseases. So southern rust come in really kind of as a direct result of all that wet weather there mm. showed up, you know, a couple weeks later. And I think, you know, overall, we probably sprayed more corn this year with a foliar fungicide than we had in, in previous years. And, you know, I, I think rightfully so when you have southern rust come in four to sweep four to six weeks before maturity, mm, you know, that's yeah. a long time for that disease to come in and develop and do yields. So yeah, foliar fungicides, a lot of it went out this past year. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and, and it wasn't just that rainstorm either, I guess, uh, hurricane Ida, did, did we see an impact from that? You know, I, I guess, uh, I, I don't know if, if if we'd had enough with the early June rainfall and all that, but I think in, in general we 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 dodged a bullet with Ida. You know, I, I see the big hurricane coming up uh, through New Orleans there, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of reminiscent of Katrina almost. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, same date and time and all that, and you know, we had a lot of problems with Katrina on down corn that you know that year. I forget what year that was, but uh, you know, fortunately for us, the the course of Ida went you know, a little further east. And so, yeah, we got a little, little bit of wind, a little bit of rain, but, uh, boy, we, we really kind of dodged a bullet there because we were just, just getting going on harvest. And, right. You know, that, that would have been pretty detrimental. So we, we, we felt, felt like we, we got dodged a bullet there. And I think overall our, our harvest window w- was pretty good this year. We didn't have too much rain and, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people were able to get, get the corn out pretty timely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's good news. A uh, 2005, if memory serves, Katrina, which yeah, is kind of yeah, wild to think 16 years ago that storm yeah, came through. Yeah, 16 years ago. That's, that's a long time, but it's yeah. still, still vivid in many people's minds, I know. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, what? so we've talked about weather. We've talked about some southern rust and some other issues like that. I mean, could, is it? Can, are you able to put your finger on sort of the biggest threat to the corn crop this year, this past year? Well, I think, you know, probably a combination of things. I mean, there's, uh, you know, like I say, I mean, we had a lot, lot of good corn and I think, you know, getting it planted timely, you know, some years we struggle with getting it planted timely. Mm -hmm. So planting date does matter. 
I don't have to be the first one to plant, but, uh, you know, ideally we'd like to get it planted, you know, into March, early April, get that, you know, getting that perfect stand. I think that's, that's really the the key. And, and we got that for the most part this year. So we started off really good, you know, had some hiccups there in early June, but I think, you know, overall, you know, we didn't have, we had some warm weather, you know, years where right. when it gets up to hundred degrees and 75 at night, uh, you know, that tends to bring yields down for corn, but, you know, other crops as well. And, and we didn't have it. I think we had one day of 100 degrees back, what, September. So, you know, overall, I think our conditions besides early June were, were fairly conducive for, for good corn yields this year. Well, good. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Uh, and it sounds like, like you said, a record record crop planted and, and, and great yields too. Uh, any any lessons taken away from this year's corn crop? Yeah, you know, every year is different, right? <laughs> um, it definitely is. And so one guy, one time I had a guy tell me, he says, well, I've been farming 40, 50 years. And he says, every year is different. I'm just ready for that. Get back to page one which, when I know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think, uh, you know, if you, like I say, the, the corn yields are variable this year. I mean, and overall, they're, they're really good. But, uh, you know, drainage, field selection, you know, that, that plays a lot into our yield potential. But I think one thing that really has kind of stood out to me, you visit with producers and, you know, some of them say, man, I'm, I'm hitting a home run and, you know, somebody else is disappointed and, and you visit with them and, you know, nitrogen management is really probably the one of the keys. And, you know, lots of other factors go into that. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we typically talk about split applying nitrogen. You know, the more times you can split it, probably the better off you're going to be. And so you think back, you know, early June, mo- most of our nitrogen, you know, depending on when you planted it, but a lot of our nitrogen had already been applied or, um you know, was getting ready to be applied, mm-hmm. especially that late nitrogen. So the the ones that went out after all that rainfall, maybe they still had the scheduled nitrogen to, to apply after all that rainfall, or or even ones that maybe felt like, well, we lost too much nitrogen, we need to put a little bit more out there. I think those those fields tended to have probably the better yields. And so, you know, that's something we always talk about you know, that pre-tassel nitrogen, split applying nitrogen. And, you know, some years maybe it doesn't make that much difference. But I mm-hmm. think this year with, with all the, the weather conditions, you know, that, that was one thing that kind of stood out to me that uh, the later the nitrogen we put out, especially after some of that, that rainfall, I think that was really beneficial for our yields. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, you know, that you, you've talked about that nitrogen a lot and how, how impactful or, or important that can be. Um, and I think that's probably a, a big takeaway, you know, if you didn't already know that um, as a grower or someone, someone who watches this crop. Well, last question I've got, I, I know uh, the WASI came out uh, earlier this week and just curious uh, seeing some of the forecast, production forecasts and things like that. Are we, are we sort of tracking that downward trend uh, that we're seeing come out of the USDA or here in Arkansas, or, or are you seeing us, you know, doing something different? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, if I had to say today uh, what, what the acres were going to be next March and April on corn, I, I would say they'd probably tend to be down. Like I say, we, we come off our 
second highest uh, since 1954, so yeah. 850,000 acres. And, and the acres this year versus last year, we, I think we were up about a third this year. So, okay. you know, maybe, you know, rotation wise, even, you know, if we, even if we had good prices, the you, the acreage might be down a little bit last this mm-hmm. coming year, just cause of that. But, yeah. you know, I think that the big thing that's, uh, you know, weighing on everybody's mind that, you know, the elephant in the room is, you know, the fertilizer price, right? Right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, that that's, that's huge. And so corn, you know, fertilizer, that's generally our, our big, big ticket item, that and seed. And, uh, you know, just conservatively looking at these uh, fertilizer prices, you know, I hear a lot of $800 a ton, whether mm. it's N, P, or K, mm. you know, they all seem to be up there in that range. And so, you know, last year versus this coming year for 2022, you know, you're, you're doubling your fertilizer input cost roughly. You know, at today's prices, maybe it may change sure. in the future. But uh, yeah, I mean, extra $150 an acre at $5 corn, that's, you know, we're going to come up with an extra 30 bushel. Mm, my goodness. You know, so, you know that, that's a lot of bushel. Now, yeah. if we're, we're growing 220 bushel corn or better, you know, I think we could still afford it and still going to plant corn. But uh, yeah, you know, today, Jason, there, there's a lot of uncertainty. And, I think this winter there'll be a lot of uh, pencil pushing and mm-hmm. uh, going yeah. over these budgets. And, you know, I hear a lot of input uh, scarcity. I, I don't know whether that's going to come to fruition or right. not. I mean, Fertilizer is an issue. The, the input, you know, herbicides, fungicides, you know, it's just uh, different times for sure, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and, and I don't want to, you know, don't want to try and make you the expert of all things, but are you seeing that some of the, the input issues, are you hearing that more along the lines of supply chain? Is it a production issue? You know, for those who aren't following that very closely. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I think it may be a, a little bit of both. I yeah. mean, I know the fertilizer, I think it's, you know, all this, I know a lot of it's supply chain, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I know there have been some disruptions in, uh, production on mm-hmm. some, some products. So, you know, I, unfortunately it sounds like it's a perfect storm for a lot, yeah. lot of things. And, uh, you know, I, I know this past year, um, uh, you know, some of the herbicides fungicides you know some of them those type inputs were were scarce or people had to really shop around and find it and i think you know typically this time of year people are just ready to get harvest done and uh, maybe not thinking all that much about next year but i know a lot a lot of producers are you know stocking up or making orders and trying to get everything arranged for this coming year because they know it's going to be a could be a challenge. Yeah, not a normal off season, uh, as it were. But uh, yeah, I, I agree, and I uh, appreciate you you sharing some of that with us. I think it's I think it's good for folks to know and be thinking about. You know, so um, well. Listen, Doctor Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and talk about the corn crop this year. I appreciate it, you. Yeah, I, I sure appreciate you having me, and uh, looking forward to it again. Yeah, let's do it again soon. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Next, we talk to Dr. Trent Roberts, who gives us some do's and don'ts for implementing a cover crop system and shares the benefits of leveraging cover crops on any Arkansas farm. He also gives recommendations on the timing and cost of cover crops, and just for fun, he talks to us about his recent success with a barbecue brisket. 
All right, Dr. Roberts, thank you so much for joining me today on the Arkansas AgCast. Uh, it's been a while since we've uh, we've talked, but my goodness, we've worked a few times over the years, uh, especially uh, with your work around cover crops. So thank you for joining the AgCast uh, and making the time to join us today. Well, Jason, I appreciate the invitation. And, you know, it's kind of a gloomy, rainy day up here in Fayetteville, so Hopefully we can talk about something to, to boost my spirits today. Yeah, let's go. Well, let's, uh, let's evangelize, uh, cover crops. Uh, let's, let's start off by talking about just the simple concept, you know, before we, uh, sat down to record today, I, I asked you the question, you know, what is sort of the base level of literacy as it, as it, as it comes to cover crops? And you, you gave me a good explanation. You said, you know, for the most part, mo- you know, growers have heard, read, seen, listened to something about cover crops at this point, but where the, where the rubber hits the road, there seems to be some misunderstanding, or, or I guess we have a tendency to make up our own definition. So you are the expert here. So let's take this right out, right from the jump. Will you kind of just share with us a, a summary of the concept of cover crops and how they can be beneficial uh, to a farming environment for us? Okay. I mean, you know, I would have to state, you know, just the, the basic definition. A, a cover crop is a, a plant species that we grow that we don't harvest for any type of monetary return, right? So the idea being is we're going to grow this crop to provide us some benefit that, that's not necessarily something that we sell, like a forage or a grain or anything like that. So at the simplest definition, I think that's what we have to get out of the way is, you know, it's typically a crop grown in between what we would call our cash crops to provide some ecosystem services or conservation benefits. A lot of times, you know, in current uh, dialogue, cover crops are associated with soil health. And, you know, the one thing that I try to remind people is cover crops are not new, mm-hmm. right? So uh, we find in ag research that a lot of times we go through these 10 or 20 year cycles, right? And if you look back in the literature, I mean, 20 or 30 years ago, there was a lot of cover crop research going on in Arkansas. Um, it wasn't necessarily centered around the soil health um, concept, but we were looking at it as a green manure crop to provide nitrogen. Um, you know, before the advent of widespread herbicide use, uh, cover crops a lot of times were used to aid in weed suppression. Uh, for years, you know, cotton farmers on sandy soils have seen the benefits of cover crops for reducing wind erosion. And so when I think about all the history of cover crops, Um, You know, there's a lot of information out there and it's just now, you know, with an interest in regenerative ag and soil health that we see this renewed interest in cover crops as a way to increase and promote soil health. Yeah, no, that, that, I love it. You know, I mean, we're seeing, and we're seeing real dollars and cents being put to it in, in some, in some cases. Is that, I mean, is that right? I'm thinking about the erosion uh, mitigation, I guess, for lack of a better term, and some things like that. Have you have you done some work around that? Yeah, I mean, we we're continually looking at that, and I, I would say in Arkansas, you know, our biggest potential benefit 
from implementing cover crops is reducing erosional soil losses on our landscapes. And I think there's a big misconception amongst our farmers that erosion is not a problem in our state. You know, because when you go, when you go to the Delta, for sure, I mean, other than a few bumps between Little Rock and Memphis, it's flat. Right. Yeah, exactly. When you, when you think about, you know, other than Crawley's Ridge, there's not a whole lot of elevation change in our major row crop areas. But, you know, one thing, Jason, you see is, is every winter there's always track hose out there cleaning out all the ditches. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's funny to, to listen to a producer tell me erosion's not a problem at the same time they're cleaning out their drainage ditch. Um, and so to me, you know, aside from soil health and all those other types of things, just keeping our topsoil, you know, in our fields where we can take advantage of it uh, is a huge benefit of cover crops. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, You know, lots of, I think, I think I don't know that we're done uh, discovering the advantages of cover crops that, you know, certainly your, your work is important in that uh, for the state of Arkansas um, but as I've talked with growers across the country, sometimes it seems like you, you know, you find that, that grower who says, well, cover crops don't make sense. And I know for some folks that can, you know, in the upper Midwest, that can be soil temperature or for whatever reason that may be. Are there any instances here in the state of Arkansas where you've seen a challenge in sort of justifying the use of cover crops? Well, so I think, you know, the, the kind of anecdote that I would go back to is where there's a will, there's a way. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think going into this, you know, my thought process was if we could figure out a way to make cover crops work in continuous zero grade no-till rice production, that you could make cover crops work anywhere. <laughs> and To me, you know, I think we've successfully proved that if you want to grow cover crops in that challenging system, that you can do it. Now, you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone. You know, you're going to have to do things a little bit different than you're you're used to, uh, but you can make it work. I think, you know, to better answer your question about where it makes sense and where it doesn't, you know, what it really comes down to is, Uh, are you willing to commit to the program? Mm. And by that, I mean, you know, it's like if you're trying to lose weight and all you do is run, but you don't change your eating habits, you know, then chances are your weight loss program is not going to be very effective. Well, (laughs) cover crops are exactly the same way. You know, if I implement cover crops, but I still, you know, maintain a complete full tillage system, I mean, that, that's the literal definition of robbing Peter to pay Paul or shooting yourself in the foot. Mm-hmm. And so to me, you know, cover crops don't make sense if you're not willing to commit to the system of reduced tillage or no-till, um, you know, maintaining those covers between each. You know, to me, all of those factors are, are are very important. So if you're not committing to the program, then I don't think cover crops make sense for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And and we, I guess you're 
you're sort of what what you're getting to is that sort of suite of regenerative practices, or, or at least you know uh, a few of those of those practices. Let me let me ask you, you know, when I guess you know what what got me thinking about this is you were part of an article that was published in Arkansas Business. I'm I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you that question again. That would be a terrible blunder. I guess what got me thinking about this was you were part of a story that was published in Talk Business, written by George Jared, and I was reading that article, and it got me thinking. Uh, you, you know, you're really preaching about timeline in that in that article and the timeline for getting getting these things in the ground. So let's assume that the first portion of our conversation has, has convinced a grower. Maybe I'm doing some of those, some of these practices, some of these no-till practices or things like that, and I'm interested in this. Uh, what what does that timeline look like? As I understand it, we're 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 there now, right? Yeah, I mean we're we're right in the thick of of where we would typically be telling people to you know start planting those cover crops, and you know if if someone's in interested in getting into that program, you know to me planting cover crops before soybean are the easiest, um, we'll say, uh, crop rotation to, you know, get your feet wet or use as, as good training wheels to, to test cover crops. Because Mm -hmm. the way we plant and produce soybeans in Arkansas, uh, they're very forgiving in the sense of if we have a few stand issues or, you know, some things like that, uh, because of our cover crop or our equipment that we're using, you know, soybeans are forgiving in that sense. Uh, the other nice thing is typically we're going to be planting soybean after corn or something that's harvested early. Mm-hmm. And so that gives us a, a big window of opportunity to to plant those cover crops and get them established. But, you know, when you think about implementing cover crops, to me, it's all about you know, taking baby steps, you know, very rarely does a producer say, you know, I'm going to grow peanuts and they take all 5,000 acres of their production (laughs) system and, and plant peanuts. Mm -hmm. And so I think you've got to kind of do the, the same thing with cover crops is, you know, try to, try to work them in before soybean and, you know, try to start out with a couple hundred acres and, and see what works for you and what doesn't. And then, you know, modify your program and expand your, your acreage from there. Yeah, well, it's almost like you, you read my next question, which is, are, are cover crops an all-in or all-out approach? And I hear, I hear you saying no. Not only do you not have to apply that to across your farm, but you you know, making a pretty strong recommendation there on, on just starting with a, with a crop that's, that can be fairly forgiving, like, like soybeans. Well, so Jason, here's, here's a good example of, uh, you know, you interpret one thing differently than I do, because Mm -hmm. if you asked me all in or all out, you know, that would almost go back to my explanation of do cover crops make sense? Mm -hmm. So if you said, you know, are cover crops an all in or an all out thing, I would say, you know, if you're going to do cover crops on 10 acres or a thousand acres, you know, the all in and all out is about commitment, right? You either need to do it or not. Um, but you know, in the way that you've couched the question, 
I would say, you know, it's definitely not um, an across the board approach. So mm-hmm. I know uh, several uh, huge proponents of cover crops that just say, you know, cover crops fit really well into these production systems on this 600 acres. And this two or 300 acres over here, I just haven't quite figured out how to make it work yet. Mm-hmm. And and they're still successful. You know, they're still, um, you know, very vocal about the benefits of cover crops, but they also understand that, you know, for whatever reason on this two or 300 acres, they just haven't figured it out yet. And so I, I don't think there's any reason, you know, that a producer needs to come in and say, okay, if I'm going to do cover crops, it's got to be across the board. Um, I think you can do it piece by piece, but, you know, the all in, all out type of thing is, to me, it's a field by field basis. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if I'm going to try cover crops in this field, then to a certain extent, I need to commit to that for the long term for that field. Because if I do cover crops a couple of years and then I just plow it up and kind of go back to my old routine, any potential benefits I gained in those two years gets lost, you know, pretty much as soon as I put the plow in there. Right, right. No, I'm glad you could read my mind because that's exactly what I meant is is that this isn't this, you know, doesn't necessarily mean you've got to put it, in, you know, across all your acres, but you should be all in if you if you've if you've committed to cover crops. I, uh, I appreciate you you making that that point because you, you're exactly right. Um what are okay? We talked we talked about soybean being a good candidate for implementing cover crops. What are some of the popular cover crops that you're seeing implemented uh, here in the state? Well, so I would say you know the workhorse is cereal rye, mm-hmm. and and part of the reason it's so widely used is it's relatively cheap. You know, as a, a winter cereal, it's relatively easy to kill when it comes time to terminate. And the name of the game with cover crops is biomass production, right? So the more Mm. biomass I can produce in, you know, a short amount of time or for the cheapest uh, cost is really what I'm shooting for. And cereal rye fits into that well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one that I'm a big fan of that in some places has caught on and others hasn't is, is black seeded oat. And you know, part of the reason I'm a fan of black seeded oat is if you just look at the the morphology or the way the plant looks, it's got much wider leaf blades. It it covers much more surface area, mm-hmm. and I think in a lot of our poorly drained soils, it just um, it just performs better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we have trouble growing wheat in our poorly drained soils because it gets waterlogged and it drowns out. Well, that's a big concern we have with our winter cereals like cereal rye and and triticale and and those. And for whatever reason, it just seems like black seeded oats tend to withstand those waterlogged conditions a little bit better. And then, you know, if we're looking at like winter legumes or, you know, broadleafs, I think Austrian winter pea is a great one Mm -hmm. uh, that's good before our, our cash crops like corn and rice. Uh, hairy vetch is one that does very well in our soils and I'll I'll be entirely honest and upfront with you Jason that you know a lot of people plant clovers and mm-hmm. and like clovers I just haven't ever been that successful with them and mm-hmm. I'm I'm not saying not to do it 
I'm just saying for whatever reason, I can't, I can't make clovers work or pencil out in the systems that I've tested. Yeah. Okay. So some good options, which brings me to the next point is, you know, how, how can a farmer get started? I, I realize as we talk now, it's obviously probably too late or getting too late unless you correct me uh, to implement for the next growing season. But obviously not too late for somebody to start thinking about this, putting pencil to paper as we start budgeting and looking at next year and things like that. Uh, you know, but how, how can a farmer get started? Do they, do they call you? Do they talk to somebody, you know, a neighbor farmer? Any suggestions there? Well, so I think there's a lot of potential options. I mean, obviously contacting me or your local county extension agent is a good, you know, first resource. Uh, there's also something called the Arkansas Soil Health Alliance, uh, which is a group of producers that have come together and, and formed a community mm-hmm. uh, to help support, you know, other farmers, um, answer questions in regards to how to best, you know, implement and use cover crops. Um, in RCS or the Natural Resource Conservation Service is mm-hmm. also a great resource. Um, but with anything else, you know, I think we need to uh, to do our homework and and see what makes the most sense for us. And then I think, um, you know, one thing that that we can do is NRCS offers, you know, what I would consider some some cover crop like beginner or starter type programs. Okay. And, and they actually have some, some monetary programs where they'll help producers who are interested in cover crops, you know, kind of get that first experience. And um, I, I don't know the exact details, but to me or to the best of my knowledge, the way it works is, you know, you would apply with your local NRCS office and they're going to provide you funding that will help cover a portion of the cover crop seed and a portion of the termination cost. And typically it's on a per acre basis. You know, unfortunately there's kind of a ceiling to the amount of money that they can give you. But Mm -hmm. from the producers that I've talked to, you know, it kind of uh, pays them to try cover crops on two to 300 acres. And I think that's the perfect, you know, starter training wheel program to get, to get people interested. Yeah. Well, great. I mean, that's, that's, um, I love to, I love to hear that. And of course, any of that assistance to help you jumpstart and, uh, is, you know, just is kind of motivating, I guess, for lack of a better term. Well, I'm going to ask you a question that, that I think about from time to time, certainly hear it from folks in the industry. Um, and this is about misconceptions, I guess. Uh, you know, we, we certainly we don't have to go down the line because I'm sure there are a, 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 several of them. But, you know, one of the things that I hear about, well, we all talk about ag in this way. It's like a factory without a roof or walls. Um, so, you know, Farmers are pretty unique in the in that they're manufacturing their product right out in the open for all of us. But we know that uh, farming is also part of you know reputation. Reputation is a part of farming and making sure that your your farm and your fields look nice and neat. And I've heard some say you know, 
look, I, I like my I like my farm to look clean. I, w- I want that field to look clean and level when we drive by it, you know. And obviously, if you've got a cover crop there, you know, it may not look that way. You have any thoughts on that, and you know, or any other misconceptions? I guess. Well, so I, I've definitely heard that. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm not sure what, what type of, of audience we're going to have for this podcast, but I'll just say, you know what they say about excuses, right, Jason? (laughs) Sure. Sure. I do. And it's, it's one of those types of situations where, you know, if you don't want to do something, it's really easy to find excuses. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I can think of a lot of them when it comes time to put the dishes away or, you know, mow the lawn or all those good good things. Mm -hmm. But, um, the one thing that I have heard that I think is legitimate is the idea that, you know, I have a landowner and this landowner expects his property to look a certain way. Mm. Uh, Okay. And, and I think there's a legitimate concern to that, but I also think if you as a producer have a conversation with that landowner, about why you want to grow cover crops and how it's going to benefit not only you, but them as well, you know, then you can kind of have that dialogue. And I think they're going to be more on board with allowing you to try those types of things. But when, you know, I think about misconceptions, you Mm -hmm. know, one of the biggest things is, you know, everyone seems to get this idea that there's silver bullets for everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I blame a lot of this on Roundup. You know, when Roundup came out, it was it was basically the silver bullet that solved everybody's problems. Right. And I think people are are still looking for that silver bullet that's just going to fix everything. And, you know, some people for for them, it's cover crops. Cover crops is that one thing that's just going to fix, you know, all their problems. And, you know, it's certainly going to help, uh, but I'm not sure it's it's going to solve all their problems. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a, that's a great reminder, I guess, for us that, that, and, and just like any other production system technique or strategy is, you know, it's going to take time to develop and to, to, you know, play a role. I, although I would assume that year one in cover crops, you'll see difference than, than a, a difference over the previous year without any, any implementation in the ground. Is that right? Well, and what, what's interesting in, in my research in particular is we start to see yield benefits in soybean, you know, almost immediately. Mm -hmm. And, And part of, part of what's hard about it for me as a researcher is I can't, I can't put my finger on what it is. Right. So I, I see an obvious difference in the yields, But when I measure the soil chemical, physical, or biological properties, I don't measure any differences. Okay. And so it's like there's obviously a benefit there, but, you know, as a scientist, I need to count things, right? I need to measure things. (laughs) And, you know, I, I see the benefit. I see the yield differences. I can't quite figure out what's contributing to them yet. And I think at least the first you know, three, four or five years that we implement cover crops, it's, it's little combinations of a lot of things, right? So we get a little bit of added weed control 
we get a little bit of added water retention. Uh, we get a little bit of increased irrigation infiltration. And even though the first couple of years, we may not be able to measure those differences, the cumulative effect of all those together gives us five or 10, you know, extra bushel of soybean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. I, I love that you, you made mention of that because the benefits are, you know, I guess they do stack up in, in different categories and, and those different categories come online you know, at different times, uh, throughout the process. So well, it's been a thoughtful, uh, conversation and, and, and interesting one for me, for sure. I've got to ask you though, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm uh, ready. All right. Good. So, you know, I follow you on Twitter and I try and keep up. You, you have some, you have some fun stories, like a story about the dog, uh, chasing you down on a run the other day. But there was something on on your Twitter that intrigued me personally, and I want to ask you about that. You recently cooked your first brisket. So I'm curious, with as a researcher by profession, a guy who runs the numbers and constantly paying attention, how did this cook turn out for you? Okay, so so Jason, I, I do have to, to to go back and say, that was not my first brisket. Okay. Okay. I may it have was, misunderstood. It was, well, it was the first brisket on my new pellet smoker. Oh, okay. So I, have, All right. I have never done a brisket that way. Okay. Um, but, but Jason, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I'm very uh, methodical and I'm very analytical. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I go through and I say, okay, I'm going to try brisket unwrapped and then i'm going to try brisket wrapped with butcher paper right and then i'm going to try brisket wrapped in foil and i've got a big family and they're a great test kitchen right because (laughs) they're they're very honest with me and they're going to tell me right away what they like and what they don't like Uh um and i will tell you the brisket that i cooked was phenomenal nice um and so I, I was a little leery of the pellet smoker just because I had never, never used one before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, the coloration, the tenderness, um, the smoke uh, flavor was just, it was perfect. Nice, nice. Well, I've heard lots of good things about these pellet smokers. I will tell you, I've done a couple briskets in my life. And uh, to make this tie back into agriculture with the price of beef these days, I am, I am out of the brisket cooking business for a little while, but have done a couple of racks of uh, dino ribs recently. And I tell you, they're so much more forgiving. I don't know if I'll ever cook a brisket again. Well, it's, it's like you said, as expensive as brisket is, you cannot afford to, <laughs> to mess it up. That's for sure. Yeah. But, uh, I've, I've found a, a secret outlet that, uh, if you hit it just right, um, you can almost get them half off. Oh, know? nice. And it's, it's all about timing because this particular yeah. outlet caters to like the weekend tailgater market. Okay. So then anything they don't sell by like Tuesday, they just slash the prices on to get rid of. So nice, you gotta, nice. you gotta have those secret places to go to. That's right. And that's, that's one thing I won't tell you on the podcast, Jason. <laughs> well, Dr. Roberts, it's been a real pleasure. I appreciate you uh, obliging all my questions about cover crops and brisket. Uh, hope we can come back and do this again uh, as the season rolls on. 
uh, would love to talk more about cover crops and other regen practices. No, that sounds great. And as always, if there's anything that we can help with, you know, we'll definitely, uh, definitely try to make that happen or get you the information that you need. And worst comes to worst, you know, maybe around Christmas, we could get together and, and talk about making gumbo or jambalaya or something like that. Just to, just to keep people interested. Ooh, I'm in. Let's do it. All right. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your week and we'll talk soon. Finally, we sit down with Farm Bureau Vice President of Organization and Member Programs, Justin Reynolds, who tells us what being a member of Arkansas Farm Bureau means, why it matters, and the unique savings and specials that members can access. I'm here with Justin Reynolds, Vice President of Organization and Member Programs at Arkansas Farm Bureau. Uh, today we're, we're going to talk a little bit, uh, about membership in Arkansas Farm Bureau. And right now it's the end of the membership year and renewal time, That's time right. for people to, to get those memberships renewed. That's right. Yeah. It's uh, here we are. It's uh, end of October. Uh, yeah. our membership year runs from November 1st to October 31st every year. So, it's, uh, we're, we're here right at the, in the, in the. It's hard to believe that, it is, that yeah. we're, we're getting so close to. Anyway, so tell me about that. That's a hectic time. That's a busy time. We're bringing in memberships. You're you're trying to hit some some numbers, I guess. Make sure we have all the members signed up again. Make sure everybody is that's right back yeah. in the fold. Our our big renewal time, uh, obviously, uh, is is uh, we begin our membership year November the first. So we have a lot of membership renewals that come due this time of year. Uh, but we're also trying to close out the the previous year, so 2021. Sure. Membership year is fast coming to a close, so we're trying to get everybody in, everybody on the books that we can. So, well, tell me uh, in in general, just talking general terms, uh, why would someone want to be a member of Arkansas Farm Bureau? What you know, what does that? What does that mean? What are they supporting when they join Arkansas Farm Bureau? Well, they're they're supporting our organization as a whole. You know, there's a lot of a lot of benefits to being a member. You know, we're we're here to advocate for agriculture and disseminate information, provide products and services, and we try to do all that. And, and when you're a member of Farm Bureau, you get to be a part of all that. So uh, you get to be a part of the advocacy work that we do. Uh, some of the products and services, obviously our insurance products, a big a big portion of that. But we have a lot of other things that, that are available to Farm Bureau members from our uh, Ford, uh, Ford program to our car seat program, just a lot of different things that, that they can have access to. Well, and I was going to kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, when you say things like the Ford program, mm-hmm. um, what does that mean exactly? What 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 are some of those uh, special programs that we offer? Those special deals that we offer to our members. So any Farm Bureau member uh, has access to our our Ford uh, rebate program, which uh, they can save uh, five hundred dollars on any Ford vehicle or a Ford qualifying Ford vehicles uh, through the program. So Ford F one fifties, other trucks are, are eligible for that. Saving so with a forty dollars membership, you can potentially save five hundred dollars on on the purchase of a new vehicle. So that's a pretty good deal right there. And you know what would you say? If you, I mean, like if you had to choose, what is one of the more some of the more popular uh, benefits that our members enjoy? Obviously, the Ford is, is sure. Up that, there, I'm sure that, that's but. a big one. Um, our, our Farm Bureau banking product that's a big a big big a benefit to members. Uh, 
that, that they have access to many loan programs, credit card, uh, credit card programs, a lot of different things that are available through sure. the bank. So that, that's a good program. Uh, our car seat program, that's been one of our uh, longstanding uh, benefits uh, yeah. since the 80s, early 80s, I believe. So. I was, I was going to mention the car seat mm-hmm. because uh, that, that has been, uh, since, I, since I've been here, one of the most popular. Sure. I, know sure. I actually had one of those car seats for a while. Sure. Um, my daughter just aged out mm-hmm. of that, so yeah, I'm getting older, but that that's always been popular, and that remains popular. Absolutely, and it's it's a it's a great program and a great benefit for for members around the state. And uh, I forget exactly how many car seats have been sold or through the program, but it's 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 substantial. Yeah. It's, it's been it's a big number. So we're we're pretty proud of that one. And there's also a lot of, uh, of benefits uh, for people if you want to travel, uh, whether it's rental cars or hotels, things of that nature. You bet. Rental rental car programs. Uh, several different uh, companies that are available uh, for discounts. Our uh, Choice Hotel program is a big one. Uh, that that's that's always pretty easy to, to sell. You know, you can save a lot of money right. taking a trip using utilizing that program. So. Uh, again, another you know forty dollar investment in a membership, you can save that in a couple of nights stays at a choice hotel. And yeah, I think that's a good point to make. And and you know, uh, I I probably don't travel as much as some people, and so I haven't used some of those as much. But I have used it on a rental car, and I think I've used it on a hotel room. And that's the thing you're saving, you save almost immediately enough to yeah. pay for the membership. Absolutely, absolutely. Because uh, and our membership uh, rate is. Forty dollars. Yeah, and see, that's we're not talking a lot there, and that's for a year, and you get all of these benefits. And if, as soon as you start taking advantage, of it, you pretty much made up. You, you can you can make money on the deal. Yeah, that's that's not bad. Um, anything else uh, you wanted to highlight in terms of the membership, and and again, why it's so important for Arkansas Farm Bureau to have have you know active and and happy members. I mean, that's that's something that's important. Again, it's not just for people in agriculture, but it helps support agriculture. Sure. Well, our membership, we're over 189,000 member families around the state. And, you know, the, the bigger we are, the more members that we have, the stronger we are as an organization. You know, from our county farm bureaus to Arkansas Farm Bureau, the, just the more the merrier. You know, it's, right. uh, be, and, and the more people that we have being a part of what we're trying to do, the more effective that we can, that we can be. Uh, you know, the larger our voice is, the, the, the farther it will carry. And, and again, it supports everything. It's not just farming and agriculture, but rural Arkansas. You bet. Uh, I mean, yeah. that's, that's, those are the kind of things that you're supporting when you're supporting. Absolutely. Farming. Yeah. We, 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 of course, support uh, farming and ranching, you know, and that's a big part of Arkansas Farm Bureau, mm-hmm. but, but rural Arkansans and, and all Arkansans really, you know, we're here as a, as a membership organization. We want to, want to have something for everybody. And, and I would be remiss as I am involved with the magazine. Uh, Front Porch Magazine is a membership magazine. Sure. All members get Front Porch Magazine. Yes. Uh, and that's that, in fact, tells stories of rural Arkansas, Arkansas agriculture, lifestyle, road trips, recipes, all that good stuff. All kinds of stuff, yes. Yeah. Um, well, I thank you for joining me here today. Again, is there anything else you want to point out for people considering joining or, or, or thinking, oh, man, it's about time. I, I, I am a member, I think, but I, I need to find out. I need right. To yeah, well, hey, if, if you you are a member and, and it's time to renew, please do that. You know, we, we certainly encourage that to, to get those renewals in. If you're not a member, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that, that Arkansas Farm, Farm Bureau can offer. You can stop by your county office. You can go onto our website and click the Join Now button, and you can fill out That's a little right. bit of information and, and uh, someone will be contacting you about joining Farm Bureau. And that's right, because you are technically you're joining your county Farm Bureau. That's correct. That's correct. And so when you go online, someone from your county will get in touch with you and finish that process right. you for just, you. Just select that county that you want to join, and they'll, they'll be contacting you. So, 
All right. Well, thank you very much. You bet. Thank you for having me. Uh huh. Thanks for joining us for another Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with more news and stories about Arkansas agriculture.